I want to continue with the sermon series that we started at the end of November um, about our souls feeling their worth. I took that off of a song, Oh Holy Night, and shared those lyrics that, that two Sundays ago. But I want to stick with the theme. Uh, when we talked about that with the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, so if you missed that, you're going to have to have read back in Luke chapter 1. It's not very long to kind of build some context for what we're going to be talking about this morning. But again, I think it's, I'm going to make a few observations here from the scripture that I believe are conveying to us just how worth, how much worth our souls have and why that is extremely important for us today. Especially, I think, in our current moment in the United States of America, in just the epidemic we are experiencing of specifically young people feeling a sense of purposelessness or meaninglessness in life. And uh, that was just, again, driven home to me this morning when John DeWitt came uh, for first service and shared with me that he was asked to be praying for somebody because their daughter had just committed suicide, young person that had just done this um, locally here. Um, and again, it was just at Christmas when we think about joy and, and celebration and family and all these wonderful things, the undercurrents in our culture are, are not good. And, and I realize it's cliche to say this, but I am a pastor, but Jesus is the answer to all of these issues. Christmas can be an answer to that, and I don't want to just say that and then move on. I want to develop that idea through this passage in Luke 1, 26 through 56, because God did this in a very specific and literal way in this young woman's life, and he does it over and over again in our lives as well. So I'm going to make a couple observations just to start with before I even start reading for you. One of them is, geographically speaking, we are changing where we are located. The address is going to change from where we were talking about two Sundays ago. Last Sunday, we just read a bunch of scripture and, and sang together to kind of get us ready for what we're preparing for and Jesus is coming. But two Sundays ago, we were kind of located down in this area in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was a very important city. It was the locus, the epicenter of where Jewish worship happened. That's where the temple was. That's where the priests went. That's where God's presence dwelt. It was a city that was world-renowned. Everybody knew about Jerusalem, and lots of roads went. If you're going to Egypt and then to the rest of the east, lots of them went through Jerusalem. It was a very important city, and certainly important to a lot of Israel and Zion, and all those things in the Old Testament. So that's where we are when you begin Luke's chapter, uh, Luke's gospel in chapter 1. If you read chapter 1, which we did, verse 5 through 25, that's where we were. Now today, we're going to read verse 26 through 56. And we've got to travel about roughly 90 miles north to get to the address where our story is at. 
And it's in a town called Nazareth that nobody would have ever heard of. And this story is going to be a big one. It's kind of a big deal. The Son of God is going to be born. And, and angels appearing to a young girl to tell her all of this news. So you'd think if the Messiah was coming and Jerusalem was the most important place in Israel for sure, and a very important place in the world itself, you'd think this big news would take place down in Jerusalem. But it doesn't. And I think that means something. I think that says something to the kind of God who is breaking in on the scene here and what he's interested in doing and, and what it means when Jesus tells his disciples that I read for you, I don't give to you as the world gives to you. I give you my peace. It's different than what the world offers. So I was trying to think of how can I relate this to, to us today? So imagine we're about roughly 90-ish miles away from Philadelphia. Schuylkill Haven's about 90-ish miles away from Philadelphia. So it's 1776. Now, if you paid attention in history class, in Philadelphia in 1776, something important happened. Hopefully you all know that. People from all over the world come to Philadelphia uh, to visit some of these historical sites. It was a very important city within the world in that day, and a lot of important things happened in the city of Philadelphia. So it's 1776, you're in Philadelphia, and rather than the declaration being signed there, we're going to travel about 90 miles north to a town called Shul Haven. If you've ever had to sign up for anything or got phone calls about someone trying to tell you what town you're from, uh, Ted, you're from Shul Haven. Yeah, that's it. Nobody can pronounce the town that we live in. And it was a, there was nothing in 1776. In fact, Dan Reed was here. So he told me when Schuylkill Haven was founded. It was like 1790-something. Anybody here when that happened? Don't raise your hand. I don't want anyone to know the age that you are. It didn't even exist. That's kind of like what's happening here. It's like this town didn't even exist to everybody else. That's where God decides to show up on the scene to announce this amazing news. That's kind of weird. And then, if that's not weird enough, last two Sundays ago, we talked about a couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. This morning, we're gonna, I'm going to read for you the story familiar to, I'm sure, many of you about Mary and the angel appearing and all that information. And maybe things that we just pass, again, these are just observations I'm making about a geographical location and two different people. I haven't even read the Bible yet. And we see Zechariah, he was kind of important. He was a male, married, older, which gave him automatically respect within the community he was a part of. It happens that he was a priest from the line of Abijah, an important line in the priesthood. He was actually going to go into the Holy of Holies. He was the priest that drew the lot to go in there to offer the, the incense. 
He had an important job. He was one of the guys that met with God on behalf of all the people. And it was his turn to be like the guy this year during this story. It says that he fears the Lord, except, you know, when an angel shows up, tell him God's going to do something amazing. He's like, are you sure? Are you sure that's going to happen? And then he was, I'm sure, respected within his community. He was, if the Messiah is going to show up, you show up with somebody important. You show up in Jerusalem and you get somebody that has some fame, some notoriety, some notoriety, some respect. People are going to listen to you if you're an older male married who's a priest with this outlandish story maybe. So that's maybe what we would think, but compare it to who Mary is. The same angel now is deciding to show up with Mary in some backwater town that you never heard of if you lived in Israel that day, unless you were from there. And if you blinked your eyes, you would probably pass through it, even on a donkey. They move slow. That's kind of how, like, Schuylkillhaven is. So he shows up there to Mary, who's young, female, unmarried. Certainly wouldn't have been listened to. She didn't really necessarily, doesn't say that she had any kind of job. Whatever it would have been, would have been probably at home in some way. There's no family line listed. We can't trace her back to important people like Zachariah and Elizabeth who came from Aaron's line. There's nothing really significant about her that we read about, and she was probably pretty much unknown to everybody. So in this story, we've changed addresses and we've changed people. And it's in this story that God, through the angel, tells Mary and announces to us, the world, we're reading it, that the Son of God, the Most High, is about to show up. And he chooses to do it this way. Now, I think, to me, these observations, this communicates something about who God is. Instantly, Mary becomes an important person. And we see in multiple places, as I'm going to read this for you, the word that she is favored, she is blessed. And I wonder if we were in that same position, how that would have made us feel, too. That God would do something like that for us. That God would think, I'm worth that? That you would use me to do this? See, that song, Oh Holy Night, I think captures this idea. That night that Christ was born and the soul. God was doing it in people's lives. He did it in Elizabeth's life when they couldn't have children. And he said, you're going to bear a son. You're going to call him John. God's doing it in Mary's life. If you'd read the rest of Luke's gospel, you'd see Jesus doing it all over the place too. Now, as we read this and as I conclude, I want to make those connections with what God's doing in our life as well. And why our souls feeling their worth is extremely important to having this sense of hope peace, joy, and love, these words we focus on 
at Christmas. So chapter 1, verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so we read that story already. You have to go back and read that. Luke is alerting us that we're about to change stories here. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. And I just explained what that would have been like, that town that nobody would have ever heard of. An angel Gabriel goes to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. We learn he's a descendant of David. The virgin's name, all we know is that she was called Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. Now, everything I just said in the intro gives no indication that God would highly favor her. But yet the angel comes and pronounces that upon her. Rejoice, favored one, is more of a literal translation. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Again, nothing that she necessarily did or who she was to find favor with God. But she has found favor with with God in such a way that the angel says, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus, which translated means God's, God saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. These are names, connections to the Old Testament when the Old Testament was talking about the Messiah, when the Messiah would show up. The Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is all stuff about when God shows up on earth as the Messiah. How would this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. So it's the angel saying God's up to something here. God's doing something big here. And what she's shocked about is that God would use her. Gabriel says, the angel, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. And again, if you remember that compare and contrast slide I had up there about Zechariah and Mary, we saw two different responses. Zechariah, and this kind of passage reminds me of what Jesus says, that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to enter it like a little child. Faith like a child. Because you start reading the scriptures and you get really smart like Zachariah was and really respected like Zachariah was. You go in a temple and an angel shows up and you're like, are you sure, God, that this is really what's going to happen? But you have Mary who is also fears the Lord and just responds by saying, I am the Lord's servant. A response of obedience and acceptance of what God is about to do, even as crazy as it seems. So at that time, Mary got ready. As we just learned, something amazing is happening. Elizabeth, her relative, is going to have a child as well. And so she hurried to where Elizabeth was, to the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's house and, and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, 
The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored, Elizabeth is saying, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Like they know the Lord is showing up and he is just pouring out favor all over the place on very unlikely people, or at least people we wouldn't necessarily think the God of the universe would show up through. So Mary, probably overcome with overcome with joy, seeks to magnify the Lord. If you read it in uh, Luke's gospel, it's found in verse 46, and maybe your heading says Mary's song, or some translations call it the Magnificat, and it's basically Mary's response to what God has just done in her life. And she says, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. God was mindful of her. God thought about her and was mindful of her humble state. Why would God pay any attention to this young girl in some backwater town? It's a legitimate question. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, she says, for the mighty one has done great things for me. He didn't have to, but he did. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. There's a, the, we'd think they'd be in Jerusalem with Zechariah, with all the important people. But God shows up in Nazareth with Mary. And in that act shows who he's going to elevate. You know, Jesus said, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. Stuff like that. Sounds like God has always operated this way. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. There's no power, prestige, prominence located in that place or this person, and God elevates the humble. She continues, he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he has promised our ancestors. God is faithful and trustworthy, she's saying. He is fulfilling his promises that he made all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, that was a long time ago, to Abraham. And Luke concludes by saying, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Now, I want to just make some connections with what's happening in this section and how that relates to our life and specifically the importance of that with regard to how our souls feel their worth. Now, this wasn't super long passage. Twice from the angel's lips, we hear that Mary is highly favored and that she has found favor with God. There is no reason why she should have, but she did. 
And it just speaks to the kind of God who is about to show up on this scene. God is simply operating in a way that he does when Jesus is here. When he walks into town and all these lepers are outside of town and nobody wants to talk to them. Nobody wants to see them. They have no power, prestige, or prominence. And Jesus walks right up to them. He is mindful of their humble state. God sees Mary. Christmas is telling us something. Jesus is not just coming for being a good son to Mary. Jesus is coming for a greater mission. God is telling humanity something about the birth of this son. He's doing it in a very literal way in Mary's life. Her life is forever changed. Among all women, you are most blessed is what Elizabeth is saying. Because of what God's going to do. Scripture, you can't find it in Scripture. There wasn't something it says elsewhere about why Mary was so highly favored by God. It's just a young woman in a backwater town willing to be used by him. Elizabeth says, why am I so favored that my Lord would show up at my house because of what happened even in her womb of her baby leaping for joy? And calling Mary blessed. Mary saying, God has seen my humble estate. Look at the great things the mighty one has done for me. Mary communicating that same thing. So we are reading that in this story that has happened in human history in these people's lives. Christmas is conveying this story to us as well. The same thing and emotion that Mary, Elizabeth, the whole story connected to Christmas is happening is the same thing that can happen in our lives. Christmas is that story. The lengths to which God would go to show you that you matter. The hope, peace, joy, and love that God offers is him showing you that you can experience that. When we think of that word peace, we were focusing on that today. It isn't just, hey, there's no war, wonderful. It isn't just there's peace in this family, maybe there was conflict, but now there's peace. That's wonderful. It, it is capturing that, but the word shalom, which is the Hebrew word that's being used here, the word arene, which is the Greek word being used here, conveys, if you, uh, I showed this video a couple of years ago from the Bible Project, where they focused on these words. The word is showing you, it's like you have this wall. You've built this wall with brick. All the bricks are where they're supposed to be. None of them are cracked. There's no mortar missing in the sides. And you get that final brick and you put it in. The wall is shalom. Everything is in its right place. It's all these things happening that each goes this, goes here, goes here, goes here, goes here. And when you put it in its right place, there's peace, there's shalom, there's actually well-being. The world is as it should be. That's what Jesus says he is offering to us when he comes. This idea of value, worth, purpose, meaning, these things that we care a lot about, that maybe we don't think about that much because they are just come naturally to us. And now we got to start thinking about it again because there's some kind of epidemic going on. Why are we having so much problem, so many issues with young people, teens, early 20s? 
that think there's nothing for them in this life. The highest rates of depression, highest rates of anxiety, highest rates of suicide. Something is not right. And so we can medicate that. We can go to all the therapists and counselors. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. But it's not fixing our problem. There's something bigger that is needed in our lives. And if you were listening to that prayer I read, when I prayed at the end was not that we would be consoled, but that we would console others. Not that we would receive love, but that we would show love to others. It was always going outside of ourselves. Christmas is that story. God thought of you when he sent his son. Your worth, your value. And instantly, God involves this young girl from some backwater town in his redemptive story. Her meaning in life just got blown out of the water. For all generations, people are going to call me blessed. Her purpose, meaning, value, worth just exploded. God just did this in this story. And in fact, I believe this is what God's doing at Christmas. This is why souls feel their worth. Because God instantly involves you in something that is bigger than you when you come to faith in Christ and become a part of a redemptive story that has eternal implications. All this stuff around us, material things, will be gone. There's a movie that we watch every year that I don't even know if it's on TV anymore. I don't know if anybody has cable anymore. We stream everything. So it's, it's Charlie Brown Christmas. Are you familiar with it? Raise your hand if you've seen it. Most of humanity has, has seen this. Uh, we use it every year. I've used it as an example before, and I think... If you watch the progression of Charlie Brown from the beginning to the end, you see a difference in him. I'm going to say Charlie Brown experiences shalom. Something changes in him. You know where he goes? He goes to Lucy. She's the, you know, psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever. He's like, and Charlie, you can tell he's depressed. Like everybody's supposed to be happy at Christmas, but I'm not. Why? So he's got to try and figure that out. Maybe it's writing letters to Santa and that doesn't go well. Maybe it's going to see Lucy and talking about things and that doesn't solve it. And she says, well, you need involvement. Maybe it's getting involved in some activity. So he goes to do the play, the Christmas play. And that doesn't do it for him either. Just the, the involvement that he's gotten. Well, maybe it's a Christmas tree. Maybe if we find the right Christmas tree and kind of get in the mood and the spirit, uh, that's going to do it for you. So he goes and does that. That doesn't do it for him. Nothing is solving his problem. And, and obviously Christmas can't do it for us because the church looks beautiful now. I'm telling you, when we t tear it down, it looks empty. It's kind of depressing. I wish I could keep this up all the time. We get excited about Christmas. Christmas Day happens, maybe some celebration. Then it's like, we got to clean all this stuff up. If you put lights out, it's freezing cold, and you're like trying to take the lights off the poles. You got all your gifts. Now I got to go back to the mall or maybe back to 
staples that drop off the Amazon thing. They're making it easy for you, but it's still a pain. And it just kind of plummets. And then you realize all those New Year resolutions didn't happen, and it just keeps going down. It's really cold. Keeps going down. Charlie Brown felt all of that. So you know what changes. Something changes in Charlie Brown's mood, his demeanor, his attitude. When finally, Linus tells him what the meaning of Christmas is all about. When he gets on stage, the lights go down, just a spotlight on him. And all he does is he reads a story. Happens to be the redemption story about what God did through Jesus. And instantly, right after that, something clicks with Charlie Brown. And not even his dog in trying to get number one in the light contest can, can change his mood. And he takes all those decorations, puts them on his tree, and they end it by singing together. But the tone of the entire show has shifted. It's changed. Because none of these other things can do it for us. I'm not against therapy. I'm not against counseling. I'm not against getting help through medication. I'm not against any of those things, but they are not going to fix our problem. It is clear. It is evident within our culture. It doesn't remove the problem because it is bigger than just that thing. It is bigger than just me looking inside of myself and trying to find happiness. That is what Charlie Brown was trying to do, and he couldn't do it, and neither can we. This story is all about where we find it. God did it for Mary, and God does it for every single one of us. Instantly, when we celebrate Christmas morning, we realize Jesus came for you. Jesus came for Mary, for Ted. Insert your name. Not because I deserved it. Not because I'm important. I still live in a backwater town. Well, it's not backwater, but it's still a small town. There's nothing about me that I should receive this amazing gift and be an heir. That's what Scripture says, an heir to the throne. God's own sons and daughters. And he puts me a part of something that is much bigger than myself. Instantly, I'm involved in this redemptive story. And my hope is that this person's life is different and this person's life is different. And I see the difference in my family because of trying to tell them about Jesus. And I've heard this story of this person's life whose life is completely changed. They were in the deepest pit you could think of. And God went down there and pulled them out. We actually derive our sense of joy, love, peace, hope, our sense of value, worth, purpose, and meaning from somewhere outside ourselves. That somewhere is Jesus. And without it, we're just going to keep spinning our wheels. All those things together that I've mentioned, the therapy, the counseling, the medicine, the involvement, relationships, all of it put together can help, but it cannot replace Christmas morning. The lengths to which God will go 
to show every single one of you your worth. And you become a part of God's greater purpose and meaning. The redemptive story is eternal. You have and can be a part of eternal implications. I don't know where you work, but if you didn't think you have a purpose, your job is part of that. Hopefully it's fulfilling to you. If it's not, maybe look at it in a different way. If nothing else, there might be somebody there that God has placed you there for that person. God has placed you there to make a difference in this organization. You are that coach because that kid doesn't have a mom or dad at home. You are that teacher because that child just, nobody seems to care about them. Everybody pushes them off to the side because they're just tough to deal with. You're that adult in that young person's life that is just grasping at straws, looking for something to say this life has meaning or purpose. Maybe you've experienced that. I have. That's why I do what I do. I said, this is so important. I can't do anything else, God. There's other stuff that I'd like to do. There's other things I have fun doing. You have experienced that. Some of you have. And you've experienced this peace, joy, sense, love, meaning, purpose, all of it. You have actually experienced the shalom. Things are right with the world. Not all the time. But you have the proper categories where to place it. We've got an entire generation that has no clue how to do that. And, and we're not doing as good of a job to help them as I think we should. And you know how simple it is? It's by you walking alongside them. And, and maybe you don't say, hey, I really think that you need to repent and believe in God so he can forgive your sins. But maybe it is you're interacting with them at Christmas. And in some small way, you can convey why this is a special time. In some small way, you can share a story. Or if nothing else, this is, you know, why do people do this at Christmas? They go out of their way to bless somebody, to give somebody a gift, to help this struggling family. We keep doing things, and you know what? Surprise, surprise, studies show. This isn't a bunch of Christian studies. These are psychiatric studies. Psych psychologists have said, thinking about other people increases your well-being your positive attitude. It changes your attitude simply by volunteering for this organization, helping somebody, an older person, do their shopping, being a big brother or big sister to this child who doesn't have that in their life. Studies actually prove this is true. Well, of course it's true. God's shown us this. And there's potentially somebody in your life that desperately needs to hear it. Christmas simply tells us the lengths to which God is willing to go to show us our worth. And what people need is not to go to the counselor five times a week instead of three. 
not to increase the dosage of 10 milligrams instead of five. Some of those things can help. I'm not speaking out against good therapy. I send lots of people to counselors and therapists or against being medicated. I know lots of people take that and it's helpful and that is wonderful. But the people I see have the most success doing those things are the people that can find their worth and value rooted in who Jesus is and find meaning and purpose in what they do because God gives them that task. You are a coach because maybe you're gifted at it, but you are a part of something so much bigger than yourself. Happiness is not found inside us. On December 26th, things change a lot for people. I'm hoping you found it and it's rooted in that baby that's born on Christmas. And I want to encourage you and invite you to walk alongside somebody that desperately needs this story. Because there are a lot of them. And you're going to be interacting with a lot of people at Christmas. Maybe God's calling you to change their life. And help them see the lengths to which God would go to show them how much he loves them. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful and thankful for this story of Christmas that shows to us, God, that you care about those who seem like they have zero importance. Just the story itself communicates that, but certainly the story of Christmas tells us that as well. God, thank you for on this celebration as we do as the as Christians all over the planet we celebrate the birth of Jesus and what that means in our lives and in this world thank you for showing us our value and worth that Jesus was sent for us and God you are sending us into the lives of other people as well we live within a culture that Lord desperately needs something that's going to point them to a greater purpose, sense of meaning, value, and worth. Maybe for the first time to experience the kind of hope you offer, the kind of peace they can receive, the kind of joy that comes, the kind of love that they're desperate for. God, if those people in our lives give us the courage and the boldness to walk alongside them, Lord, give us the compassion and grace to do that maybe for not just a week or just at Christmas, but maybe do it for a while. Lord, help us to not lose sight of why and what you are doing in this world through your son Jesus and why he came to make us a part of this redemptive story. He certainly is worthy of our worship for he came to save us, lost sinners from our sin. We pray this in his name. Amen.